Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about the gig economy and the future of work with a wonderful guest. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zolkario, Product Innovation and Value Creation Expert, and I'll be your host. And today with me, I have a very special guest. Hey, Diane. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to, to see you here, and I'm sure it's going to be really interesting. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy. So my guest, Diane Malkehi, is an author of The Gig Economy and a best-selling book on Amazon and a VC invest- investor. Yeah, I said yep. it well. <laughs> We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and, and Facebook, and you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions. We'd love to hear what you think. Now we can start. Before we start the discussion about the gig economy, how do you define the gig economy? That's such a great place to start because I think when people hear the term the gig economy, they immediately think about Uber. Uber. But yeah. the gig economy is so much bigger than just Uber and really just platforms. Um, so when I talk about the gig economy, I'm of course talking about platform workers, on-demand workers, and that includes uh, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, it includes delivery drivers, but it also includes uh, freelancers, independent consultants, independent contractors, adv- advisors. So really anybody who works independently for themselves, uh, I consider in the, in the gig economy. I also include people who might have a full-time job, but participate in the gig economy on the side, like through a side gig. So all those people are included in my definition. That's how I talk yeah. about it. That's a wide definition. I'm, I'm very happy we started with because I would say that most people, when, when they think about the gig economy, it's very specific. You know, there is a platform, everybody's like joining and, and doing things together and, and then going to whatever they want to do in their time. And it's very, it looks like it's very narrow when they think about the gig economy. And the first thing that comes to my mind is like, we know that, that the world is going to be much more of that Right? We're going to have more independent workers, more freelancers, more people working part-time in this and part-time in that. So how do you see that like influencing our, our lives and maybe what we need to know about the future? I mean, my view on the future of work, and I think we've, we've seen it during this past year, is that it will look more like the gig economy. Certainly... In most major markets, if you look at the U.S., if you look at Europe, the gig economy has only continued to grow. And this past year with the pandemic only accelerated it. And that was really a result of people who were furloughed, who were laid off, who found themselves in a position where they were not able to work in the way that they are used to and turned to the gig economy as a way to generate revenue. There were also people who maybe had full-time jobs and then without the additional time of commutes and business travel found that they had the time to launch a side gig and to experiment and start working for themselves. And I just don't think those trends are going to reverse anytime soon. So in my opinion, the future of work looks more and more like the gig economy. 
which is not to say that employees are going away because they're not. There will always be full-time employees and full-time jobs. But I do think independent work and working in the gig economy will become a bigger part of the workforce and will be more prevalent in the economy. And do you think that these p- people who decide to, to open a gig or to, to go into something independent, do they express different skills or do they need to know different things about the, the, the experience or the skills and capabilities in order to work this way? Or it's the same people working within organizations and outside of them? That's such a great question. I mean, the question really is like, what do you need to be able to do to move into the gig economy successfully? And there are some different skills that are required. I mean, I think the first one is really the mindset, you know, getting into the mindset of I own my career, I control my career, I'm responsible for creating a professional life that meets my criteria that fits with my personal life. Uh, it's a little bit different than looking for a job where you're looking at what's already available and trying to figure out which one is the best fit, you know, versus feeling like you can create something. So the mindset is one big thing. The second big skill, which really isn't very talked about, and I think is often a surprise, is when people leave full-time work and go out on their own, time management is often a real issue. If you've worked for an employer for a number of years, you probably haven't developed the skill of managing and structuring your own time. And that's no fault of yours. It's just you're used to having a structure provided to you, right? There's like a work day and you go into the office during that work day. And then within that work day, people tell you what to do. They invite you to meetings. Like your time gets structured for you. When you work independently, You have to be much more intentional about figuring out, you know, when do I work best? What are my hours that I do deep work? What are the hours that I will do meetings uh, and calls? And how many of those am I willing to do? So you, you have to become much more explicit and intentional uh, about structuring your own time. So I think that's a big skill. And I would say skill number three is having the ability to Uh, curate and manage a team <clears throat> of independent workers when you go out on your own uh, you know you run a business and that can include you know not only doing the work but also uh, getting the work and um, you know managing a back office maybe managing some PR and social media right there's different dimensions to running a successful business even a successful business where you're a sole proprietor. And the, I think the most successful independent workers are those that curate a team of independent workers to help them particularly do the things that they're not good at or that they don't enjoy. So those are the three skills, the mindset, time management, and how do you build a team around you to support you and help you avoid doing the things you hate? <laughs> yeah. You know, that what the first time thing that comes to my mind when people ask me about going independent, because I've been independent like for almost 16 years, is that I ask them, could they generate motivation for themselves? It needs to be inherent in, in, like in what you do. And if you expect it to come from someone or somewhere else, it will never come. You need to really generate this energy within you. And, you know, just to have, to, to have the energy to have a plan and to execute the plan. Each day, you need to execute a plan 
and you don't have someone telling you, yeah, today you're going to do that, next week you're going to do that. Like you need to be the, your own boss in that sense and, and generate this. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, having a sense of, as you call it, you know, intrinsic motivation where, you know, you are working towards your own goals. You have a vision of what you want this venture, whether it's a side gig or whether you're working full time in the gig economy, you know, you have a vision of what you want that to look like and how that needs to happen. So agreed. It's important that that comes from within because nobody's going to tell you that. You don't yeah. have a boss anymore. Yeah. And you, you have no one to really define you, right? You could define yourself. Like who would say that they, on, on your business cards, who would, who would decide what's written on them? It's not like a boss telling you, you will get this office, mm -hmm. this salary, this position. It's not a cube that you fill in. It's something that you need to build and to create yourself, which is sometimes hard. Like, I guess that Uber drivers don't think about it that much, but if we elaborate that into being a business owner or independent, I guess it comes to mind just to say like, what do I want to be actually? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And I think for anybody who is thinking about making the transition away from full-time work into the gig economy, just having a really clear idea about why you're doing that and what you hope to achieve. I mean, for some people, it can be really as simple as I want to do something on the side, either to generate additional income or experiment with starting my own business and see if that works while I still have this full-time situation, you know, it lowers the risk or it could be, you know, pursuing a passion project and really trying to understand if that's something that has legs that you can form a business around. So there, are, I think the clearer you are about what you're trying to do, what your goal is, what your vision is, um, the easier, the easier it is. So doing that work ahead of time to really think about your motivations, to think about your objectives, that's good work to do before you actually make the leap. Yeah. So what would you say is the biggest advantage of developing a career as an independent worker? I think the biggest advantage is the autonomy, right? So you can decide how much you want to work. You can... Um, decide what type of work you can have a mix of work. It doesn't have to be just one type. Um, and you can build a professional life that works for your personal life. I think, you know, that's more holistically integrated with your life. I think those are uh, the biggest advantages. And I think really on the financial side in particular, because when you work in a full-time job, you know, your salary, which somebody else gives you is, is the cap. That's what you earn. When you work independently, you can, and, and I've done numerous interviews with independent workers and I've really seen the whole range. I've seen independent workers who say, you know what, I'm willing to take less money in order for more time off because I have other things going on in my life that are important and that take up my time right now. Um, and I've equally seen independent workers who say, you know, I, I'm at a phase in my life where I just want to work all the time and earn as much as I can, right? That's what, it, that's what it's about for me. And I think working independently allows you to select where you are on that spectrum for that time in your life. And also, it's not a permanent choice. It might look different next year. 
So there's that flexibility to decide what's important to you at any given time, I think is really powerful. Yeah, I totally agree that flexibility is, is a really big advantage, especially like for me, I could say only for me, I never like interviewed like uh, people are independent workers as you. But for me, the fact that I could decide what is the range of, of uh, types of works and how long do I do it and what is that intensity of work. You know, like uh, working in high tech uh, full time in Israel is very intensive. You could come yes. home like at 7, 8 p.m. each day and and the traffic jams and everything. And and for me, I have four kids. And I always said, like, for me being successful and the question is, how do you define success? Right. But for me, being successful is to have a career in parallel to having other stuff like spending time with those, with my kids. But I guess that the definition of success, again, is yours. And, and it's not like so clear, in, like in the corporate ladder, like you get to the sea level and then it's really clear that you're there, you get the best salary, you get the most respect and it's clear. And when you have your own path, you need to, to build it yourself. I think that's true. And, and actually, that's the first chapter of my book is defining your own success, because I really do think that is fundamental It, and foundational. It underlies every other decision that you make. You know, what is what is your version of success? And I, I teach an MBA class on the gig economy, and that is the first class that I teach with my students is I have them do a number of different exercises, which are in the book, but really trying to figure out explicitly, have them explicitly define, like, what does success look like for them? And what I find so interesting is what happens invariably, I've taught this class for seven years, is that a significant, I would say a majority of the students end up realizing that the life that they have structured is not aligned with what's important to them. It doesn't, it's, it's misaligned with the values, the priority and, and how they think about success. And so what happens is they end up making pretty significant changes and transforming their life into one that looks much more aligned with their values and priorities. But the only reason they're able to do that is because they got explicit about it in the first place. You know, they did the reflective work and then they got really explicit about it. So that really is a critical step for, you know, to be successful and sustainable working independently yeah. is to have a really clear sense of why you're doing it. So why do you think people are get so detached from their original definitions from themselves? Like I could say like in Israel, it's really clear. You go, you have high school. If you could learn computers, wait, get great. Everybody would be happy. Computers, uh, cyber, whatever. You go to the army. If you can, you'd be in a cybersecurity <laughs> unit. Every, it's mandatory in Israel. So everybody goes there. And then you go and learn studies or go and work in a startup. So it's like clearly you go to high tech, the best salary is there. End of discussion, more or right. less. Yeah. So why do you think it's, it's so, you see it so much that people, they have their values. They know what's success for them, like what it looks like. And still they're doing something which is not exactly that. I mean, I, as we all know, it's so easy to just follow the standard path. It's very easy when you, you know, you're in high school, you're trying to get good grades, you're trying to get into college, you go to college, you know, you're looking for majors that, you know, seem to allow you to get some kind of job after college. And then you get 
into the workforce where there's a whole culture around external standard measures of success. So if you haven't really gotten clear and comfortable and convinced about your own definition, in the absence of that, it's very easy to just follow along with what everybody else is doing and what everybody else's definition is. It's just, it's easy. Um, and I think that's what happens. You just kind of end up going along with the flow. It's not until, and that's why I think just observing what's happening following this pandemic, and you could say the same thing at a company where a lot of people have been laid off, like following, following an event that is a shock, you will often see people making those big changes because they have had the kind of wake up call that makes them think about, well, hang on a second, what am I really doing here? And is this what I wanna be doing? We saw that after 9-11, for example, like major shocking events will often force people to take a look at what they're doing and decide if that makes sense. So I think we're gonna see a lot of that coming out of the pandemic. Uh, people have had the opportunity to be um, away from the offices, away from that environment and those norms, and really think about what matters to them. And if they have structured their lives in a way that reflects what matters to them. And I think for many people, the, people, the answer will be no. And there will be some significant restructuring going on, which, yeah. you know, all in all, I think is a, a really good thing, honestly. Yeah, I think that, that seeing this crisis as an opportunity really makes sense. You know, I, I wrote about it in my book. It's called Innovating Through Chaos. And I always thought about, like, that's an opportunity. Everything is, like, mixed. And now it's, like, now everything is open to new directions. And for me, the, the fact that crisis is an opportunity is something that I didn't think about in the business sense at the beginning. I thought in the personal sense, as you said, like, things are changing. And not long ago, I listened to Oprah. I really love Oprah. Super Soul Sundays, and and she said that in some cases, um, when your heart is broken, it's broken open. Like then mm -hmm, it's, it's something mm -hmm. happens, and then you mm -hmm. have the capability to change and, and really get things differently and understand things differently and do something about it. Yeah, so I think this. Yeah. I'm just yeah. gonna add more. Light. The 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 sun keeps moving. I'm just gonna add some more light. Great. So, so we started talking. No, now there is a lot more like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what it's do you think? We should working from home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I totally understand you. I really love this office. You know, this box. Um, do what do you think we should teach our children about the gig economy and and how it will affect their career path in, in the future? That's uh, you know, first of all, it's such an interesting question because. For a generation that did not grow up in the gig economy, you know, how do you teach uh, the next generation about that, right? That's a challenge. Um, I, I think really the best thing that we can do for the next generation is to not encourage them to think about their career as, uh, one, working for a company all the time, and two, certainly not working consistently for companies. And really the way to sponsor that is you know, during the school years, encouraging students to get side gigs, to take on project work, to experiment with working platforms, right, to allow them to 
get comfortable with that way of working. It will only serve them in the future to not feel like they are tied to the traditional employee-employer relationship. Um, and I, frankly, you know, when I think when you look at the younger generations, um, Gen Z, you are seeing a lot more independence. One of the things that I'm so super interested in is this creator economy. And you are seeing a generation decide that they want to work independently, they want to be creative, and they want to find a way to monetize that, working for themselves and just bringing their whole self to work. I think that's a really interesting trend. I'm not saying, again, that that's going to be what everything looks like, but I think having more variety and more choice about the way that we work is only going to benefit uh, younger generations. You know, they graduate from college. It's no longer looking at, okay, which employer do I pick for a full-time job? It's like, well, I can work a full-time job or I can work in the gig economy and do something independently, or I can try to start something myself and be more entrepreneurial. There are many more choices that are acceptable. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about creators, you know, the first things that come to my, my mind is YouTubers. My kids really love YouTube and, and they follow some of these people there. And, and sometimes they show me what, what they're looking at. And I see these really, really smart, bright young people. And they have their own like thing. They're interested in something and they're creating something new from it. And because it's so authentic and they're really interested in it, you, you could see that 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 is so appealing to their viewers because it's so interesting for them. And there are so many kinds of, of things to, to consume, kind of content to consume. In the past, we had like a few TV shows or that interest us. Now we have a whole channel just connected to what we're interested in, right? So I think it's beautiful. I, I would agree. And I think authenticity is something that's really important to, for example, Gen Z. And I think what's interesting about the creator economy is we are starting to see this trend where uh, people are brands. And, you know, and we now have more expectation that brands act like people. Like we want companies that have a voice on particular issues and take a stand, right? So yes, you make some products, but we also want to know what you think about, you know, X or Y or Z. Um, but the people as brand is a really interesting and disruptive force, I think, because you're talking about um, building a brand that allows you to introduce services and even products into the marketplace. So it used to be that when you were a person that had a great brand, you know, companies would come to you and ask you to be an ambassador for their product. And that still happens, of course. But now what we're seeing is people saying, uh, no, I don't want to be an ambassador for your product. I'm just going to launch my own product. And they have this platform where they have direct access to consumers. And so they can build a product brand on their own. So I think it's incredibly disruptive to traditional businesses because now you have really anybody that can be a, that can be a competitor and the moat is, um, is very small. Yeah, I think th that's another advantage. But what would you say people like my parents that would tell you it's really risky? If you go to a company, you just stay there for a few years and then you have less risk. You know how much money goes to your bank and you're calm. 
And when you're self-employed, you have this fluctuation in your bank accounts. And what, what would happen with your life that way? I completely understand that argument, but I feel like anybody who has been watching the world and the economy knows that that fundamental premise is flawed. Uh, if you go work for a company that doesn't provide any guarantees, we've just been through a year where we saw that, you know, we had this, we had this exogenous shock to the economy and companies furloughed their workers, they laid them off, they reduced their hours. So there really is no guarantee or safety. And it's not only during significant exogenous shocks that companies do that. I mean, just as a part of business, right? Um, the business environment is global, it's dynamic, it's competitive. And businesses all the time are changing what they do. They're introducing new products, they're retiring old products, they're entering new markets, they're leaving markets. And all of those decisions require changes in the workforce. So even if you're at a company as a full-time employee, there are no guarantees. And I think you would be hard pressed to make a compelling argument that security comes with uh, a full-time job. The thing about working independently is this is similar to investing. Um, there's no concentration risk. When you work in a full-time job, you're putting all of your financial eggs in the basket of that one company. You're getting all of your income from that one company. Something happens to that company, your income can go from 100 to zero. If you work independently and you have different clients, different projects going on, even different lines of business, maybe you do some consulting or coaching and then maybe you have some online courses or other products that you sell, all of a sudden you have a diverse income stream. And so even if something happens, you know, one client says, well, we're going in a different direction. We're not interested in this project anymore. We're not going to work with you. You still have other uh, clients and projects going on. So your income, instead of going from 100 to zero, goes from 100 to 80. And there's stability and security in that diversification. I think that's really the big lesson um, to be taken away. So I would challenge that boomer perspective as being outdated. Yeah. You know, like what you said about being like you're both a VC and you're investigating uh, independent workers. And I would say that what you're saying is that we should see our career as building a business that needs to have like a portfolio of opportunities. And we could we should sustain some of them in order to be more first content and maybe express our talents. And second, to have less risk in our lives currently. I think that's true. I think that's a good way to put it is, you know, with diversification comes reduced risk. And that doesn't mean, you know, I think the other way to think about it, too, is to think about your career as a portfolio. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with in that portfolio of your career, having time periods where you do work for a single employer. And the way to think about that is, well, I am putting all my financial eggs into the basket of this one employer. But I think that risk is mitigated by, for example, you know, the amazing opportunity that this offers me to develop my skills or expand my network or position me better for the future. Or I think the, the risk is mitigated by, you know, the amazing brand name that this employer has. And I think that will open so many doors for me in the future. So again, that doesn't mean that the only good way to work is in the gig economy with a portfolio. I think it's really just 
having a more flexible mindset to say over the course of my career and at different periods in my life, different things are going to be important to me and I'm going to think about risk differently. And that's totally fine. And I think that's what's attractive about the gig economy, the creator economy. It just acknowledges that people work differently across their career and now there are more choices. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good for the worker. So what do you think is the difference between a general like person who's a freelancer or independent worker and somebody, someone who's really an entrepreneur creating something new? What is needed there? In my opinion, there's not really a difference. I think people who work in the gig economy or the creator economy are the new entrepreneur. You know, they mm -hmm. are um, creating something. They're creating a small business. They're creating a product or a service that they offer. They're creating content. Um, they are entrepreneurs. They are the new entrepreneurs. So I think the definition of entrepreneur got a lot bigger too. It doesn't have to be somebody who founds a company that, you know, adds employees that gets bigger over time. That's not the only definition. Mm. There's a lot more choice and a lot more ways to think about what an entrepreneur is. Yeah, that, that sounds interesting. And, you know, like I, I cannot like avoid asking you as a successful woman and a corporate leader, what would you teach women about business? That, that's a tough question. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything I would teach women that I wouldn't teach others. I, but I think the same principles apply, which is, you know, getting really clear on your vision on what success looks like. And I think when you work independently, uh, one of the things you do have to get really comfortable with, which is challenging for people, including women is, um, your worth and your value and just, understanding what that is in a really concrete way and being really comfortable with that because when you work independently it's when like when you get a job you negotiate for a salary and compensation maybe once a year or or maybe only at the beginning and then you're kind of just on the trajectory right yeah. when you work independently it's something that you confront all the time as part of your daily work life right you're doing new business development you're talking to potential clients You're also, you know, working with independent workers on a team. You're figuring out how much to pay them versus how much it would be to, for you to do it yourself. So there are so many decisions that are really reflecting how you think about your own value and worth. Um, and I encourage all of my students to just get really clear on that and to get out of their head on that. Um, I think so many of us underestimate what we bring to the table and, feel cautious about asking for our true value. And if there are ways that you can, um, you know, talk to other people who are doing similar things, understand what their rates are, the more that you can ground your, uh, your reflection of your own worth in the market, what are other people's prices? What are other rates? Um, how do I think about this in terms of an annual salary and then working backwards? making it concrete and outside of your head can be really helpful. But yeah. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for independent workers in general and women in particular. Yeah, I totally agree. When, when I think about what needs to be 
like taught in school, especially for, for, for young women is, is money, just to talk about money, to understand money, to understand business. Like to, today, money is like the ultimate power. And sometimes women say, I'm not comfortable about talking about money. I'm not comfortable about asking money. And, and it's, it's totally related to worth. Like how much do I worth? And I need mm-hmm. to get a number out there. Just say that number clearly each day if you're independent in many cases. And it demands um, self-confidence, I mm-hmm. guess, and that sometimes women are finding like hard to, to, to handle. And, and some kind of, of like, um, I know, like it, it could be seen as a bit like aggressive when somebody is like saying explicitly, I'm worth more. I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's who I am. And I think it's intimidating for women sometimes to say that. And I, I would agree. And I think, I think it's everybody that works independently has, has some amount of these issues. I think it's, it is hard to go out and kind of declare what you're worth and to feel confident in that and to understand that not every client is going to be for you and to let people go if, if they aren't able to, if they're not a good match financially. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you work independently, unfortunately, uh, people ask you to do things for free all the time. Right. And you have to get comfortable with, and sometimes there are good reasons to do things for free, but many times there are not. And you have to really get comfortable with your response to that and, and what, you know, what opportunities you accept and which ones you don't. But I think in general for women, uh, getting really comfortable on the financial side is important and understanding your rate and your worth and getting confident in that and owning that clearly is important. But I also would say that um, one of the mistakes that I see independent workers make frequently is that they start working independently and they feel like they have to do everything themselves. And that is really a huge mistake. You need to learn how to delegate, to outsource things that are not the highest and best use of your time or things that you really dislike. And I think that applies to the financial realm as well. If you don't feel like you're super comfortable, there are uh, financial advisors who can help you think about your financial life holistically and map out some really concrete goals so that you're clear on what you're working towards. Um, There are even uh, individuals who can help with negotiation, who have research on um, compensation rates that can help you feel more grounded in what you're offering. And there are bookkeepers and tax accountants that can take that back office financial burden off of you and your business. So I think it's really important to you know, do as much as you can yourself, but also recognize that there's a whole network of help that can really um, assist you in pulling together your financial perspective and your financial offer in the marketplace. Yeah. What reminds me of, of Fiverr, do you know this Fiverr mm-hmm. is, is an Israeli startup, very successful one. And I feel that that's a really a great place to start if you want to just try it out and just see if you're in the right direction. And because you don't get like tons of work in the beginning, you just try it out and see how it goes and see how you manage your uh, work, your reputation, you're uh, continually uh, growing there and, and so forth. I think it's, it really makes sense. So what is the most surprising thing you learned from your years of, of just <laughs> researching that? Um, 
I think the most, well, the most surprising or counterintuitive finding, I think, was that, um, you know, people think everybody works for money, that, you know, sort of income maximization is the general goal of working. And just from this, the many, many interviews that I've done with employees, with employers, with independent workers, I've just really come to see that it's so much more complicated and nuanced than that. A good job to one person is a bad job to another person. And there are so many factors that go into what makes for a satisfying workplace. And it really is very individual. And I think that's really a takeaway for uh, companies is there is no one size fits all anymore. And the more that you understand about like, what is this person working for? And is there a way I can meet that person's need? You know, the better the recruiting and retention that you will be able to do. And as an individual, the more that you understand, like, why am I working? How much do I need to work? What am I trying to get to? I think that the better and more sustainably you can structure your professional life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- I think the general view is like, Oh, everybody go get a job. You know, that's, that's how things are done. And it's like one size fits all does not work. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that companies need to be more flexible about how they understand and manage their employees because right now they have a role and it's like a cube and then you fill it with a certain person and maybe his talents is more than that or different talents and you cannot really utilize this human resource if you don't understand the capabilities the talents what these people want to do what they're happy to do what they're really looking for in their job so just understanding these people and customizing your your workforce accordingly something so important for and being flexible with that and not only in the fact that you're working sometimes from home sometimes not and maybe not full time it's it's more than even that just understanding that there are people and not just human resources you see that well i think that's true i i have been surprised at how Um, slowly companies have been adapting to new ways of working. The, um, you know, work, working from home or working remotely has always been an attractive option. If you look at the data, the data is overwhelming and consistent that people are happier, they're more engaged, they're more productive. Who wouldn't want that in an employee? Yet companies consistently told employees, well, we want you to deliver good results. And also we want you to deliver it our way, which means we want you in the office from nine to five, five days a week. You know, it was, they, they wanted to manage the process and the results. And I think what happened over the pandemic is companies were forced to let go of the process and focus on the results. Now, what's surprising to me is that that doesn't seem to have taken hold in the sense that companies are still trying to go back to the process and forcing, you know, managing by the clock in the chair, right? Forcing people to come back to the office. And I, I find that really puzzling in a way. And I think employees are really disappointed about that in general. And I think what underlies that is just the sense of mistrust. Um, that feels really condescending and patronizing when you think about it. Um, you know, I've been working, you know, remotely for a year and a half. If my results have been good, then leave it alone. I mean, why try to fix it if it isn't broken? Um, so I think there's going to be, you know, at least here in the U.S., 
nobody's coming back over the summer. I think everybody's sort of taking the summer and having a bit of like catching up with family and normal life. Companies are definitely signaling they're going to try to bring people back in September. And I just wonder how that's going to go. Because I think as an employee, it feels really disappointing to have somebody that you've worked really hard to deliver good results uh, treat you in a way that makes you feel like um, they're being paternalistic and and that they don't trust you. So I think that's going to be a real challenge in the fall, genuinely. Yeah. You know, first, I really hope it's going to be a challenge because, you know, the employees need to stand up to what they feel because if the results, as you said, are still good, there is no need to, to make them stand in traffic like so many hours a day and, and do things in a certain very particular way all the time. And it could be much more flexible as long as the results are, as you, you see, like many companies had more or less the same result and, and some of them even better during mm-hmm. this year. So uh, I feel... The fact that people felt that they are trusted made them work more. So why, why not give that to your employees and, and really trust them? And, and I think it's yeah. really important. Well, and I think employees have demonstrated in many cases that they are trustworthy. They've worked hard and they've delivered the results that they needed to, even in a, in a very stressful and unusual time. I mean, it was no situation of working remotely will be as extreme and stressful as it was last year. So if people were able to deliver under those circumstances, they certainly will be able to deliver under circumstances that are more benign. Um, so yes, I, I, I also think there will be pressure among employers um, in the, you know, competing for talent. If you're a company that is really rigid, I, I think it will be challenging to recruit good people. And I think eventually uh, that will become clear and hopefully put some pressure on those companies to become more enlightened. Yeah. So we have Steve Smith with us and he said, I've had 100 virtual agency for 14 years built on trust with people that I've never personally met. It takes a bit of belief system changing to get over it. Keep up the great information and posts. So thank you. Thanks, Steve, for, for joining us. And I, I totally agree that Steve is like in the right direction. And I hope that more employers will go to that direction, which is better for everyone, all employees, and especially as I see it for women and mothers and maybe disabled people and different people who need their space and not being like overcrowded with people all the time. And people think differently and operate differently, and therefore they need to be treated differently as employees, uh, as I see it. So I want to thank you for your time. It's been so, like, I really enjoyed it. And the time passed so fast. And I'm going to ask you, like, where did the time go? <laughs> so how, how could people find out more and, and, and find the book? I know the, the gig economy book is on Amazon. So if they want to reach out to you, where should they go to? I mean, the best place is my website, which is diamokehi.com. Oh, great. It's a great website. I visited not long ago. And thank you again, Diane. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. And to all of you changemakers out there, thank you for joining me. And if you want to learn more about my work, you're so invited to InvincibleInnovation.com. And I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. 
make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.